Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Desire. Oh my God. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> oh man. It's just like, I'm just, all I, I'm just crossing the street. All I'm doing is crossing the street and, then, and I, the, the, there was no truck there, literally st- two seconds ago. That's you, you got to work on those transitions of your state of mind, Kurt. That's all. Oh my gracious! I I I I certainly need to be wiser because <laughs> I I I don't think I looked both ways when I started when I stepped into the street. I thought I had, I thought I had coming from my friend Pepper Sweetie. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. And if you're looking to be wiser, you've come to the right spot this week, because this season we are talking all about wisdom and how we discover this together and all the aspects of it. Today, we are uh, talking about the wisdom of many advisors, the interpersonal domain of integration. And as we are recording this, it is St. Patrick's Day. And um, so I'm glad that we're going to be talking about weenus today because that sounds very Irish. (laughs) Sounds like (laughs) the (laughs) (laughs) they're magically delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! (laughs) I had so many people. I mean, not so many. I've had a number of people over the years say like weenus. What's that? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that one. What is that word? Well, we are is going it, to be that... talking about weenus today, so stick around. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to miss it. <laughs> oh, my gracious. Man, well, I think, you know, over the course of this season, you know, we've we've talked about how in some respects what what it means for us to become professional human beings is to become people of wisdom. Hmm. And we've also talked a bit about how, uh, as people who've, you know, as, as I say, like we're, we're living in with the downstream side effects of modernity and all that that means. And one of those side effects is our, without even knowing that we are kind of pushed in this direction, that we are trained to think that like, I'm really kind of on the planet by myself and I got to figure things out. And so even if it's, wisdom that I want, I'm somehow responsible for accumulating that. Somehow I have to go out and make it happen. And I think in today's episode, what we really want to focus on is that is that wisdom is something that I participate in. It's not just something that I personally acquire, like my own personal... Uh, now now you've got me you know, thinking about leprechauns <laughs> and, and their pot of gold at right. the end of the rainbow. Right. And the leprechauns, you know, they want to they, they want to accumulate their own personal yep. like pot of gold. And wisdom is not just something that I'm trying to accumulate or to acquire for myself, but I'm it's it's more like uh, a dance that I'm that I want to enter into. It's a party that I want to be that I want to be joining in, and and there will be something that I will be able to experience. I'll, I will know what it means to be a person of wisdom because of the connection that I'm making with other people. And so, I mean, I, I, you know, over the, over the years, you know, we've, we've talked about all these 
different elements of interpersonal neurobiology and integration and these different domains of the mind. And today's domain that we're focusing on is this interpersonal domain, this this sense that my mind, uh, I, I certainly have agency and there are many things about my own mind that do just belong to me and that do the, those that belong to you. But there's also a great deal of how my mind functions that actually often without my being aware of it, really depends upon my connection to other people, that other people are as much a part of my mind, far more a part of my mind, my mind's activity that I'm often aware of. And we take as a kind of a lead text today from the biblical narrative, the 15th chapter of Proverbs in the 22nd verse, that reads, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And even the ancients were aware that in order for us to live in the world the way the world was meant to be lived in, uh, I can't just figure this out by myself. I, I need advisors. And of course, we could also say I can have so many advisors in the room that I don't know what to think, especially if they're all coming from many, many different places. The point is not, A, a that I need 100 people in the room. I need to get everybody's opinion and then I can pick from somebody else's opinion before I make a decision. Nor is it me just trying to get other people to tell me what to do. But it is a matter, again, of my, my being aware that there will be people who I trust. There will be, you know, a half dozen people, or maybe somewhere in that six to eight people in my life on any given basis that I will want to seek wisdom from. And it's not just about information. Well, you know, w- wisdom, like how do I fix that? You know, how do I fix my washing machine? That's that's one kind of wisdom. But also, if I need to make a decision about, you know, who am I, where am I going to work, or what do I do in my marriage, or how do I take care, how what, how do I respond to this employee? How all kinds of ways in which what it means for us to make decisions about our human relationships. Yeah, I love that you point out that it's not about having a hundred people in the room and and surveying everybody to find out what your opinions are and and that kind of thing. To me, it makes me think, you know. We need to be wise about who we have as advisors as well, right? I mean, right, the, right. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I've been in, I was on a Zoom call with 62 people recently. Holy. And you Holy know, you think cow. That, that's excessive. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can't, there's no decisions that are going to be made in that meeting. There's no, you know, and so you have to, you have to get down. I think you have to get down to a core of people you know, you're gathering information from a lot, but then you, you have to get down to a core of people that you really trust to make the bigger decisions. Does that, does that right. ring true for yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, oh, well, totally. Well, and I mean, I, again, true to our, you know, our, 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 our friendship and with Amy as well, I mean, there have been any number of moments in the course of the time that we've known each other in which if I'm sharing things with the two of you, things that feel vulnerable to share, there is a particular wisdom that comes not just because I've offloaded things, uh, but because of the awareness that I'm no longer alone with what's banging around in my head. Yeah. And even the way I then perceive and think about the things that are banging around in my head shifts. Because often, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking for help about something, it's often like I'm, I'm anxious about the thing I'm looking for help for. 
And my anxiety is, yes, at first glance, it might feel like, oh, I'm anxious because I want to make sure that I do this the right way. And But it, it's ultimately that if I don't do it the right way, there's going to be some catastrophic end. I'm going to be left alone, which is what our anxiety is really ultimately about. And so to have you on the other side of this conversation means that wisdom is something that I acquire Again, not just because it's information. Now, information, it's not unimportant. But before that, what I'm really acquiring is presence. And it is the presence that lets me exhale, enables me to be less anxious, more attuned, more attentive, and also willing to imagine things that I could do or not do that heretofore I wouldn't even imagine or consider doing because I was too anxious. Hmm. I wouldn't have the courage to take those steps. And so... Uh, it reminds me of, uh, of we were, we were, this is a group that I was running 20 years ago and a person came in in this, in this one day and they talked about this, you know, the, this problem that they had at their workplace and other people in the room wanted to go around and say, well, have you tried this and have you done this and have you thought about this? And, and she said, yes, I've done that or, and no, that's not going to work. And here's the reason and so forth and so on. And then at some point, probably Seven or eight minutes into this list of people giving her advice, somebody said, I just want to say, I'm, what, the place you find yourself just feels really, really hard. Spend a minute or two just dialing in and being empathic and named those things and so kind of stayed with her. And even as they started to speak, other people were chiming in and saying, yeah, absolutely. And... After about two minutes of this, she says, huh, I think I know what I'm going to do. Just like that. And it turned out that it was like some combination of some things that two or three of the people had suggested already that she had given all mm-hmm. the reason, like, no, I can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. But it was this moment that I'll never forget where you watch how connection with people in the room enabled her to make it like somehow the information was suddenly made available to her that she needed to know that had been available there 10 minutes earlier, but not if I'm alone. And that whole notion of that, that we-ness that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. that we are, you know, this is, this is the thing that comes right off the first page of the Bible, this notion, let us make mankind in our image, right? So, we're being made in the image of a, of a communal God. And then one page later, it's not good for the man to be alone. Again, this notion of God reinforcing the first two pages. There are important elements that tell us about who, like I, have to pay attention to me in the context of other relationships. And then we get, you know, to this notion of the third and the fourth page of the Bible and how families are, I mean, these are the first places where the the, the framework of social structures, all social structures their frameworks are ultimately based off the family. And so I think I'm just going to go and do my thing, whether it's at work or at church or at this or that. And like, I'm taking my family everywhere I go. With all my attachment patterns and so forth, and often I don't even know to do this. And, and it's also important because it's in the context of family where we experience our first, often, often where we, not, not everybody, but where we often experience our first violence. Mm. And the violence doesn't have to be, you know, the, the violence doesn't have to be like Cain and Abel, although that's, you know, 
That's not, right? right. Again, you don't get very far into the story of the Bible because somebody's killing somebody. Right. And they're siblings, right. no less. And so we see that even, and it doesn't, you don't have to be murdering people, but like we, 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 we all know, our listeners, we, we know about what it means to be in a family where, you know, somebody's ignored, somebody's the black sheep, somebody's the scapegoat, somebody is the one who's allowed to be chaotic and whatever, because nobody else has the courage to kind of contain that. I mean, all, all the different ways in which the reality of our we-ness is kind of tainted, right? It gets tangled up with our fear and our shame because of our trauma that happens. And so our response to this, of course, is to, I'm just going to exit in some way, shape, or form. And then I'll, I'll just go find wisdom on my own, which is not very helpful. Right. I mean, in some respects, this is like whatever's happening between the snake and the woman in the third chapter of Genesis, and Adam keeps his mouth shut, you figure at some point, oh, Eve's sense of things, not even consciously, her, is like, oh, I guess I'm alone in this conversation. Mm. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do something with this. And what's the something? Oh, the tree is looking really, really inviting. Given what I got to put up with. Right. I've got an accuser on one hand and I've got silence on the other. But who was that group? Who was it? Was it? Clowns. To the left of me. Jokers to Jokers the right. to the right. Here, Here I, I am, am stuck, stuck in the, the middle, middle with, with you. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so it's, uh, and, and you know, all this is, we, we've talked about these things before, about attachment, about the being seen, soothed, safe, secure, and about how our emotion needs to be co-regulated with others. We sense, and then we make sense of what we sense. All these things that are, developed in the context of a community. I don't, I don't go off and read in an encyclopedia, which we don't have anymore, but on the internet, I don't do this by myself. I don't, I, I don't acquire wisdom primarily by acquiring information because it's not about the acquisition of information. Rather, it's about the formation of confidence and comfort in the presence, a range of a lot of different emotional states. Can I be a person who, when my, you know, my seven-year-old or my 17-year-old has me in a place where I want to kill them? And if you are a parent, you have wanted to kill each of your children at least once. And there's no shame in this, ladies and gentlemen. We just need to acknowledge it, confess it, and receive God's mercy and move on. You know, and, you know, and, and children are like, really? That's, you really have these feelings? They're like, oh, <laughs> wait till you're a parent. That's when, that's when you'll know. Yeah. That's when you'll know. And so this sense of we're, we are made to be integrated, you know, we're, we're made for this connection with other people so that of different parts of me can come together, this way of being integrated and then becoming someone who, when I'm with the seven or 17 year old and it's upsetting, I can pause, exhale. I think I, I told this story once, my, my, my daughter, Rachel, you know, who's now a solo pastor of a car. I mean, this is a woman who now like 
cares for a congregation of believers on you know on her own. I'm like, sorry, it, it, Rachel. It, like, I'm sorry. He's going to tell this story. I, you have my. I'm not going to tell this story, right? Like, 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 like we're going to have this this we're going to have this work day at church, like on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I told it on the podcast? I don't know. I, you've told me the story. I don't know if we, it's a, you know, life and the podcast all just run together to me anymore. I don't yeah. know what stories I've told yeah. and haven't told. Yeah. Yeah. She's like 14 and our son's 11 and we have a, this work day on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock. And so we're all going to have to get up and go to this work day at our church. And so I'm thinking, okay, teenagers, Saturday, 8 a.m. Like this is, this is throwing a match into a tank of gasoline. And I might have been born at night, but not last night. And so I'm going to, like, do what I need to do to make sure that, you know, we get this. So I start, like, the Sunday before. I'm saying, hey, this is what's going to happen on Saturday, just letting you all know. And every, just practically every night, we're just reminding people, right? And uh, Friday night, it's about 10 o'clock. I'm ready to go to bed because we got to get up to leave by 7.30. And I'll never forget, I see her. She's sitting on the, she's sitting on one of the counters, in the kitchen. And uh, I just kind of, ca- and we've already talked about it at dinner this night, that night, right? Four hours earlier. And I say to her, what time would you like me to get you up tomorrow morning? And then it's like, it's the, <sighs> and it, you know, there is a sound that was accompanied, accompanied with an eye roll. Oh. Okay. And we, we've now, we've now documented that the eye roll is the most potent nonverbal cue that communicates contempt. And I'm standing, and I'm like, I see this, and I'm like, my arm is reaching for the for the for the meat cleaver that is in the block <laughs> behind me. Dude. Like wisdom. Like I, I'll tell you, wisdom, I'm gonna show you wisdom. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring wisdom to bear. <laughs> And like I, I and like I can tell, like my, I like I'm right here in my chest, and I had like, and I had to actively like breathe and pause, and then say, because I'm like, it's ten o'clock, I want to go to bed. And here's the thing, my daughter is like, she processes things, like she, she is, she's a thought, deeply reflective, thoughtful, smart, wise. I mean, now. Adult, and I had to pause and be curious. And it's like one of the you know one of the few moments in my parenting life, maybe where I did this, and say, "Can you tell me what's going on?" And I didn't really want to because I wanted to go to bed, and I knew that if I said, "Do you want to tell me what's going on?" We would end up doing what we did, which is a thirty-minute conversation sitting in the family room about how. What a god awful week it had been for her. Hmm. That yeah, I mean, no teenager wants to get up at seven in the morning to on Saturday. I get it, but like that's not really what was going on in the kitchen. And a wisdom, like it, it was something that was happening in the room. Like the spirit of God is happening in the room. And you know, and but I, I but I'm not able to do that with her, if I also don't have my cohort of people in my own life by whom I'm being known either, where I can roll my eyes, where I can, you know, whatever, 
discharge and behave however in order for them to ask me the question, can you tell me what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. To bear the fruit of the Spirit, to live like the Sermon on the Mount, I have to be in an integrated state that can only happen interpersonally. We, we like to say, you can be right all by yourself. I can be right about things. Oh, yeah. Let me, so this reminds me of, it's probably when I was first married, I remember I was having a argument with my wife or a fight with a fight with my wife. We were, we were not speak. We weren't actively having the fight. We had the fight and we weren't speaking at this point. So the fight was over, but we weren't talking. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I'm like, it's just so blatantly obvious that I'm right. I mean, it's just so, there's just no question that I'm right here. And I don't know, she won't acknowledge that it, you know, and, and he said, you know what you get to be when you get to be right all the time? And I said, what? He said, you get to be alone. And I was like, oh. But I will say wow. that, you know, I, as a child, I, you know, being right was really important to my dad. I mean, I witnessed mm. that. I mean, mm. being right mm. was, it was, a, it was his spiritual gift. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> he, he it, it was very important to him. That, that he was right. And, um, and so I found, you know, my early in my marriage, you know, what was I modeled all those, I'm not, you know, uh, but, but what was I modeled all those years was, you know, I'm right here, doggone it. And, yeah. you know, yeah. let's all yeah. admit that I'm right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that conversation with that guy was just eye opening to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Hills Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms? Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and, and allowing them to feel known in that moment. Yeah. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. It's, he, he wrote this into Hope Hills Camp after, just after attending the Hope Hills Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories you're, that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. But it was the line of volunteers with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. Hmm. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives. And he has never been invited to a birthday party. Hmm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. 
you know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshipping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to hopeheals.com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together we can help make a big difference. You know, uh, it's interesting too, because uh, this just happened literally uh, last week and it, ha- and I, and I, and I've, I've, you know, note to self, this has happened more than once. I under- I also understand the power of what happens in my kitchen when I say to my wife, honey, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Oh yeah. I, yeah. You're speaking to the choir here. Yeah. There's a Dude, pause. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> which is embarrassing. Really? Like, I've never heard those words before from you. Right. I mean, excuse me. Could you say that again, yeah, please? Yeah, I want to use oh, wait, that as wait, my ringtone. I want to put my. I want. I want to turn my phone. On. I want to record this. I can, can I record this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, th- this whole sense that like you you can be right by yourself, but you can only be loved mm. in community. Like, so like you, if you're right all the time, you get to be alone. I, I thought like, oh yeah, you're, you, you can be right. And then you'll be left. Mm-hmm. Like literally. Yeah. Like you'll be yeah. like people are like, no, we should make t-shirts. Yeah. I think we could sell t-shirts. Get right or get left. Yeah, no. Get right. Or, no, <laughs> no. I don't know how we, you want, yeah. oh, like, yo, you're the creative director. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I gotta, would, I gotta think about it. Cause now you've got me thinking well, we could, about it. We could, we could do that. We could. That's an idea. Yeah. That's yeah. an idea. Start making yeah. T-shirts with Kurt sayings on them. I think this is Amy. Get on this. But they're but they're going to have to all be extra larges because he's got a lot of words. They <laughs> <laughs> have a dissertation on the back explaining what the words on the front mean. <laughs> they don't have to be in microfish. <laughs> We'll charge. Oh, we'll on. charge per word. We'll make a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's the other thing. <laughs> we'll make a fortune. We'll use it. We'll put the words on the on sleeves. The sleeves. We'll be words on the sleeves. For sure. On the inside of the on the inside of the garment. Exactly. Be, you just it'll be it'll be reversible. reversible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, th- it, all this just just remind us too that like, um, yeah, as as uh, our friends at the Bible Project like to say that, that, that you know everything you know everything you need to know about human beings you can read in the first four chapters of Genesis, hmm. right? First four pages of the Bible. And this, this major event that there's this thing that there's, God says, you know, you, I've given you everything you received from me. I've given you everything that you can eat except one thing. And so that one thing is the thing from which they take. 
I'm, I'm, I'm prone to taking. And I want to take so that I can have this information, this knowledge, and that I think is wisdom, uh, in order for me to, uh, because if I know everything, if I know as much as I possibly can, it helps protect me mm. from being hoodwinked mm-hmm. by someone else. And then I get burned. Yeah. It's not just that I'm wrong. It's I'm wrong and will be ashamed. I'm wrong and uh, I will be not enough. And you'll want to leave. And you will. So there is there is this sense then too of remembering that I'm 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 in the I'm in the world to receive, but not that I don't give anything. And this reminds us of just the general rhythm of how this relational aspect, this interpersonal domain of the the becoming people of wisdom, it's not just oh I'm only taking from others. There is this movement from, you know, uh, like just like beginning with labor, right? The the baby comes out, comes back, and comes out and comes back. There's this sense of we connect with people, and then we move to solitude. And it's important, not, not isolation, not independence per se, but we move to a place of solitude. And by solitude, we mean that we, by our own choice, are moving into a space where we are communing with God on our own in a particular way. It's a different kind of communal connection. In order to come back then into connection with others, and then moving back into solitude, and then moving back with others, and so forth and so on, that this, you know, this rhythmicity that we have. And so this sense of like coming and going and coming and going is a rhythm that we all carry. And it's this integration of I, my sense of agency, and my own personal sense of who I am, in relationship with the we that I'm also part of. And as it turns out, my sense of who I am is ultimately shaped equally by who I am with, who is with me and who I am with it also. I, I, it's not just all me. Like I become who I am not just because you are with me and I, and I receive from you, but I, I become who I am because I also give to you. And I notice your response to the part of mm-hmm. me that I give that also shapes who I am. So this is a, this is a two-way it's a two-way street in which this community experience enables us to have a greater clarity of who I am on my own, the things that are just mine to do something about. When we have trauma, this whole enterprise of this integrating feature of connection and community that leads to solitude, that leads to my being able to do things that are particular to me, that then brings me back into community and this rhythm, uh, trauma tends to lead instead to these rather binary ways of seeing the world. What do you mean by that? So like, I I think it's easy for me to think that it's like, you're either for me or against me. Yeah. I'm either on my own and I have to be on my own or I'm going to be swallowed up, right? To be in community is to kind of like dissolve. I lose my sense of self. yourself, yeah. I mean, in my own marriage, I mean, Phyllis, she here say, yeah, like I, dude, like, I, like, so I grew up in this family where without knowing it, I, I didn't, of course, didn't have words for it at the time, but there was this felt sense in which I had a, two parents who loved me deeply and dearly in the best ways that they could, all of which is really beautiful and good. And at the same time, 
with a mom whose anxiety, again, I didn't know this at the time, but whose anxiety like had me feeling like it was really difficult for me to have a sense of me apart from her. You know, she, her anxiety would lead her to have me doing things that she would want me to do that I wouldn't want to do. Yeah. But I couldn't not do it because I was too afraid of getting into trouble. That job fell to my second oldest brother, who, who was the one who was willing to kind of like just be who he wanted to be kind of thing. But, but this sense of like, I'm just going to be absorbed. And so, you know, getting married, there's, there's this sense in which like, it's either like, if I do what you want me to do, Phyllis, like I'm going to disappear. Like I'm not going to have any sense of me. And mm-hmm. so I like, you know, dig in my heels early in our marriage about like, no, this is what I, and I, you know, because I'm trying to respond and react to like living in a house where that's what was going on. Yeah. But I also, I think that you're speaking a very common thing that happens in, in, in marriages in the beginning uh, or in relationships in the beginning. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm relating to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the acquisition of, of becoming people of wisdom is really about learning to be present mm-hmm. with others and, and recognizing that they and I, we can have different states of mind and some of those, you know, we can be in different places and we can be okay. But it takes time for us to learn how to do that. It also requires, in the presence of others, of me naming my longings and my griefs. Me naming, like, oh, this is what I this is what I want in this community. Growing up to name those things. I grew up in a family where it wasn't it wasn't that I was never asked what I wanted, but there were crucial elements of who I was becoming where those questions were never asked. They uh, they they wouldn't have occurred to my parents to ask me those questions. And it's only later, even like in my 50s, now I guess technically in my 60s, where like I'm just aware of like how angry I, like how much anger I've carried around in response to not being asked about those kinds of things. And so we name our longings. We have to name our griefs in order to be present to this process. And then in the course of that, in these communities, then being able to move toward creating beauty and goodness, even in the face of what feels difficult. And so in these confessional communities that we, that we run, and in our friendships, right, we, we want to name what do we most long for? Uh, what are the parts about our relationship that grieve us? That, and, and by grief, I, I use that word as a, as a word, it's a kind of a container for the entire range of anything that we feel and sense and image that is unpleasant. Sadness, embarrassment, anger, all the whole works. And, it, and, and not just the range in terms of the different kinds of emotional states, but also the levels of intensity of this, right? We, I can get my feelings a little bit hurt or a lot hurt, depending upon what, what the topic is. But naming those to repair the ruptures. I was with a friend earlier this morning who's about to go into a meeting with a client of his in which this friend who is, works as a consultant um, there were some things that they knew that, that my friend wished that they, that he and his company had done differently. And he said, like, no, this morning I'm going to have a conversation with one of my clients and I, I have a rupture that I need to repair. Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had this, this week, I don't, I don't mean to step on yeah, your story, but th- th- yeah. this week I had a situation with a, uh, someone I work with 
that something happened and there was a there was a rupture that they weren't even aware of. Huh. Right? They they weren't aware that that this rupture had happened. But I picked up the phone and and came to them in a way that was I came into the conversation with the intention of repairing. That was the the whole intention. Now, I think if I would have gone to the conversation right away, I probably would have caused more of a rupture, but I let some time, a little bit of time pass because I had some feelings that were boiled up because of what had happened and I needed to calm those before I went into the situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I talked to my wife about it and she's like, yeah, you, you know, just affirmed that you need to have this conversation. And this is somebody I don't know really well, um, mm-hmm. but I just came to it and I just, I just said, you, you know, I want you to know that I'm I, I'm having this conversation with you because I feel like a rupture happened and I just really want to repair it before I start mm. feeling any resentments, before, mm. you know, I go down a road mm. and start telling myself a story that isn't true and mm. I just really want to have this conversation. And when I started telling her what I had perceived happened, uh, she at first got defensive and wanted to explain why and what and what, and I just said it. It's okay. It's not, that's not why I'm here. You know, this is, this is the, this is, you need to know what it left me, this situation left me feeling and, and I don't want to feel this about you. I want to, you know, get beyond it. And we had a, ended up having a lovely conversation and I feel like it's moments like those that can build bridges into relationship that, that otherwise could just, you know, I, I could have chosen to just harbor bad feelings and, um, and not let it repair and let it always be this thing that's, that's there. And, um, I don't want to do that kind of stuff anymore. I don't want to, I don't Dude. want to do that at all anymore. Dude, like what, what you're describing is it, it's like the essence, it's the essence of the gospel. I mean, in Jesus, God comes and says, I want to repair this. Like, and I've been been getting closer and closer and closer and closer to this. I tried it with Adam and Eve, right? I came and talked to them. They wouldn't they wouldn't have a conversation with me. Kind of tried it with Noah, and then he kind of went off the off the grid. And we tried it again with Abraham. He throws his wife under the bus. I, I mean, like all these things. Like I just keep trying, and like and now, like this is how serious I am. I'm like even if it costs me my life, I'm coming to repair. And the person that you're talking about, I mean, like, Pepper, it, this is so rare that anybody says, that, no, that, what do I want? I want a good relationship with this person, and there's been a rupture, and we're, I'm going to repair it because of what I want, what I really want. I want a good relationship on the other side of this. And it's in that kind of a context that wisdom it's like we get IV infusions of wisdom because her experience will now have been of like, oh my gosh, like she only, she only, she may only know that when a rupture happens, like defensiveness is all the, is the only tool you have in your box. Hmm. But not now. Now she has a, a new experience that is relationally grounded in which it would not be hard for her to say like, no, I'm wiser because I've now, I now know how the world, I, I have a, I have a closer sense of how the world really works. Because you take the step of being vulnerable 
and I and I just want to carry it a step further in that if there was wisdom in that as you as you've recognized, then that wisdom has come from you know you and I spending time together, you and I and Amy spending time together, us talking about these kind of things about the importance yeah. of repairing rupture and and so it's not again, it's not an independent place you think that you come to these this place independently it's it's been years of relationship that have put me in a place where I can be brave enough to have those kind of conversations. Yeah. I mean, in many respects, this interpersonal domain of the mind really reminds us that, uh, you know, rupture and trauma and our, our brokenness happen in the context of relationships. And wisdom is only going to be received to the degree that healing is taking place ahead of time. Healing is a prerequisite for wisdom to be received. I, I even to, to to be to be in a posture to receive it. Healing must precede it, and that requires the kind of things that we're talking about here on an interpersonal domain. I don't just go out and do it on my own. And so, uh, this whole notion of how we are looking to be in the world with others for wisdom and beauty and goodness to emerge. Um, well, I just want to talk about the artistic offering, and then you can talk maybe with us a little bit about application. Sure. Um, the f- famous jazz pianist artist Duke Ellington, Duke, uh, very he's well known for this uh, song "Take the A Train," mm-hmm. and you can find it in any number of different, you know, YouTube videos, different iTunes. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But the number of different instrumentalists that are involved in this. And, uh, and, and how each instrumentalist is looking to the other. You, you, and they give space for the brass. They give space for the keyboards. They give space for the percussion. They give space for the vocals. This, but they're watching, sensing, image. Like this beautiful thing that's happening that depends upon the presence of other people. Yeah. That reminds us of what it means for us to be both individuals, right? Only, only Duke could play the piano. Like, they're, they're like you don't got just one keyboard but like that playing by itself doesn't isn't the same thing Mm -hmm. not the same thing and so uh we offer that to you to like this week uh find a version of take the a train listen to it just listen to it several times over and over again and just uh, get a sense and then you imagine like who are the people in your life that represent that. So maybe we'll just go on to the application, take it away. Yeah. So the application for this week is we want you to make a list of up to eight people with whom you most closely interact in relationship to whom you believe you are becoming more integrated, right? So those close eight people write out the explicit ways in which you interact by which you believe you are becoming more a person of the fruit of the spirit. Then we want you to consider writing each of these people this is the hard part, a handwritten note of gratitude, letting them know exactly how his or her life and yours interact in ways that you are becoming more integrated, more perfect, just as your Father in heaven is also perfect. And um, that's a, that's a um, you know, I, it's easy for me to write down, I mean, I don't know if it's easy, but to think of eight people and 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 write those down, but then to make the commitment of, writing a handwritten note to each of them and being vulnerable in this way, I think is uh, a great exercise and has more benefits than, than you may know starting out. So, 
And I want to do, I wanted to say one other thing. And when you talked about the rhythm of solitude and community, solitude and community, so this week I went on your website and uh, went to the resources section because I I was I was leading a group of people. We were we, we were going to be doing a long three hour meeting, and I wanted everybody to be awake, alert, and attuned as we started this mm. meeting. Mm. And so I wanted to borrow some of your resources. And I just want to mm. you know plug this this the amount of like it's so cool the way you have it set up, mm. and it's mm. so easy to do. It makes that it's this this practice of being present. Um, and just in your sort of solitude time, I just want to make a little recommendation that you maybe go check out the resources that Kurt has available on his website. And we will put that in the show notes here as well. So, um, Kurt, thank you for today. This was really fun and insightful. And, uh, I'm enjoying growing more wise with you every day. Yeah. Dude, well, it's better than, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're not reporting that you're becoming more foolish by being with me. Well, there is a, that. A, you know a, what? It's a, it's it is a, it is a side effect. It there's is a, side a little effect bit of that. People I think, hang out with me. Yeah, yeah. It's a side effect. There's a little bit of fool, foolishness that goes along with it for sure. So, <laughs> Tom Foolery. So, all right. If you are watching us on YouTube, Amy, I believe, is going to be joining us here in just a couple of seconds. So stay tuned for that. Kurt, thank you. I love you. Till next time. Right on. Love you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.